Leadership, a podcast about the life and work of Wendell Berry, the Kentucky farmer, poet, novelist, essayist, activist, and thinker. My name is Jason Hardy, and I'm thrilled to introduce episode 10, in which Tim Wassum and I had the pleasure of interviewing Laura Dunn, the director, producer, and editor of the 2016 documentary film, Look and See, a portrait of Wendell Berry. Laura Dunn started making documentaries in response to her undergraduate experience at Yale University. Through a chronicle of labor strikes on campus, her film titled The Subtext of a Yale Education examines the corporatization of higher education. She then returned to her birthplace to make green, a sobering look at environmental racism along the Mississippi River Petrochemical Corridor, also known as Cancer Alley. Other work includes experimental films Baby, a personal take on population issues, and Become the Sky, an ecological map of power in Texas. Her first feature documentary, The Unforeseen, executive produced by Robert Redford and Terrence Malick, premiered at the Sundance Film Festival and was released theatrically and broadcast on the Sundance Channel. Look and See, her newest film, also executive produced by Robert Redford and Terrence Malick, and funded in part by the Sundance Documentary Film Fund, is a cinematic portrait of writer and farmer Wendell Berry. Her honors include a Rockefeller Media Arts Fellowship, a Student Academy Award, Yale's Trumbull Fine Arts Prize, an International Documentary Association Pear Lawrence Grant, and an Independent Spirit Truer Than Fiction Award. She lives in Austin, Texas with her husband and six young boys. And now, here's our conversation with her. Laura Dunn, thank you so much for joining us here on the Membership Pod. We've been looking forward to this for, uh, well, basically, we've been looking forward to this as long as we've conceived this podcast, because <laughs> <laughs> the the start of this project and when, when we first started discussing the creation of it was right around when Look and See came out, and that was, it was very much on our radar and probably... I was about to say indirectly, but probably directly influenced us going about this project and diving in like we did, or maybe, or especially when we did. So we really appreciate you joining us today. Oh yeah. Thank you. So we start every conversation uh, with, with interviewees on this podcast about their Wendell Berry origin stories. We're wondering if to start things out, if you could just tell us a little bit about where, you found Wendell Berry and, and when his, maybe when his work started to fully kind of, uh, sink in and, and influence the way you make art and the way you live. Yeah, I think that, I don't really honestly remember when I first discovered Wendell Berry. People have asked me that a lot. I, I just remember knowing of Wendell Berry's work since high school. I think that, um, you know, there's very fertile ground in terms of my own uh, background. My mom is a maize geneticist, so she's been searching for the origin of corn, and I kind of hopped around from various university uh, biology and botany departments with her in experimental cornfields throughout most of my childhood. And my um, my grandparents were um, uh, had a camellia orchard. My great grandfather was a pecan farmer in Mississippi. So I just come from a long line of plant people, and I think my mom was a big influence on me and just helping me. I mean, she was having me do book reports about Rachel Carson and Silent Spring and fifth <laughs> grade, you know? So I think that, um, I think just that awareness of the importance of farmers, the importance of rural culture, the importance of um, healthy, sustainable agriculture, all in the context of, 
you know, increasing pressures on our natural environment. Um, those are just things I was raised with. So I've always loved writing and poetry. And I, I remember reading some of Wendell Berry in high school. Where I came back to Wendell Berry was I was working on my first feature out of film school, which is a documentary called The Unforeseen. It's about um, kind of the fractal of growth and real estate development in central Texas and how it is affecting the water resources here. And Terrence Malick asked me to do that film when I was fresh out of grad school, which was an enormous break. I mean, <laughs> wow, yeah. I tell people he's very generous in spirit. He um, likes to sort of identify uh, people like myself who really didn't deserve his trust, but then give you the trust and see what you do with it. So I was very, very fortunate. He saw some of my grad student work and asked me to do it. So um, in the course of working on that film, uh, he said to me towards the end of our editing process that I needed to have some voices that came from outside of Austin, outside of Texas, where I live, to contextualize the local story in a bigger frame. And one of the voices that he recommended I give a look at was Wendell Berry. And so I kind of revisited his work in a new light. And this was back in, let's see, I started that project in 2002, finished it in 2007. So it was in that window. And I found a poem of his from his Sabbath poems. It's called Santa Clara Valley. And it starts with, I walked the deserted prospect of the modern mind where, you know, where everything was, I forget the exact line there, but um, the unforeseen is what the title of the film came from that poem. So I wrote a letter to Wendell asking him if I could come record him reading that poem. And he graciously agreed. And so my husband and I, we drove up to Port Royal and met him. <laughs> I, I do like telling you that it was in February and it just happened to be a horrible snowstorm. <laughs> and we were stuck in a Holiday Inn in Shelbyville in ice and snow and all the roads were closed down. Everything was shut down. But we had our appointment to meet Wendell and just had to do it. So I remember it felt like we were risking our lives driving down this incredibly <laughs> steep, icy slope to get to his house. And it's like an addition. I mean, it just was yeah, very yeah. Uh, dramatic. And of course, after all this effort, and we get there and we're standing, you know, kind of waiting outside his house. He drives up in his pickup truck and rolls down his window and said, I'd hoped you wouldn't come. <laughs> <laughs> so it was that was the beginning um wow. of knowing Wendell. We ended up sitting with him in his living room and he was so wonderful to us and Tanya wasn't there. She was visiting her sick mother, so um I think he offered us a root beer or something. And we um rec recorded him reading the poem and then we visited with him for a little bit and that was it. And that poem kind of is laced throughout that film, The Unforeseen. And that film did pretty well. It, it toured to film festivals all over the place and had a theatrical run and whatnot. And what I was so surprised about was how few people seemed to know who Wendell Berry was. Uh, I mean, you know, places like the San Francisco Film Festival, where you'd think all these foodies would have some awareness of who Wendell Berry was. And people would always ask in the Q&As, you know, who's that voice? What is that poem? Who is that? And um, when I would say Wendell Berry, very few people knew who that was. And, and so that's when it started to me was, well, if I'm going to make another film, um, I'd like to do something to draw more attention to his work. So that's why that that's kind of how this film came about. 
That's awesome. So I, I know you mentioned that poem. Are there any other texts of his that, that stand out to you? Novels, essays, po- other poems, collections of poems that, that have been really influential to you? There's so many, you know, um, it's hard to choose. I remember one time reading something that Wendell wrote where someone asked him about his best friend and he said, I don't have bests. I don't do bests. <laughs> so <laughs> really? I kind of, I think that's sort of like that, that kind of sticks with me. You know, it's hard sometimes to choose among uh, so many that are dear to you. I think that um, if people ask me if they haven't read Wendell Berry, but they've seen the film and they say, oh, where do I start? I tell them, you know, in terms of nonfiction, I would start with The Unsettling of America. I just think it's, you know, the most important work that I can think of that looks at agriculture in the United States in the latter half of the 20th century. And it's very relevant today, too, of course, in the 21st century. It's very relevant today, too. So I think that's a really important book to read. I think um, in terms of fiction, I think Jaber Crow is where I'd start. Um, I have some female friends that I say, if you're really wanting a book with a wonderful female protagonist, then you could start with Hannah Coulter. Um, I think Jaber Crow kind of captures my heart a bit. So, you know, in poetry, you just can't go wrong. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we, we love to talk about the Wendell, or when, when Wendell Berry appeared in the New York Times by the book section where they ask about favorite books and stuff and he uh, he gets so it's like he's going out of his way to refuse to answer their question you know <laughs> and all these like what's your favorite I, book I just, what's your favorite yeah. short story what's your favorite play he's like oh yeah. you're not going to get it out of me i promise you yeah. uh, but yeah that's and we uh the, those books you're you're mentioning in those essays are those are just perfect perfect choices of places to start which it's sort of in the project we're going about, we're chomping at the bit to talk about those, but it's going to be a few years before we get to them. So maybe when we get <laughs> a couple of years from now, when we get to them, we'd love to hear what you have to say about them <laughs> at, sure, uh, at, at that point. Yeah. Could you, could you tell us the story of how look and see came about? Like what was the original seed for making the project? And maybe could you tell us a little bit about if the project looked different at the beginning or, or how it looked different at the beginning than sort of what the final product turned into? Sure. I mean, it, you know, the seed again was having made that other film and having Wendell's voice in it and realizing how few people knew who he was. So that was kind of the idea. You know, I wrote a letter to Wendell suggesting it, the idea and it was a bit of a song and dance back and forth. Um, he would sort of write back yes and then I'd go visit him. We'd talk about it more. He'd write back no and then it was yes and then it was no and, you know, it, it got to a point where I was kind of like, okay, I'm just not going to do this. I don't want to raise money for a project that can't happen. I don't want to in any way intrude upon him. You know, it's weird because you want to draw light to his work, but he's someone you admire so much you don't want to intrude. And so it, what happened was is that there was a an event here with him and Wes Jackson that was sponsored by Edible Austin, which is a, a, a magazine here that focuses on sustainable food systems. And they brought him and Wes to do a uh, talk together downtown at the theater. A friend of mine who was in on that and kind of, I think, gave some funding to that and invited me to a little reception, a private reception beforehand. So I got to go to that and I, I got to see Tanya and Wendell for the first time in a while. I hadn't seen them in a while. And Tanya was the one who said to me, I want you to come back. I want you to do this project. So... Um, that's why I ended up doing it was because she encouraged me to do it. 
and really became a dear friend in the process. She helped me a lot because I'll tell you, after that, I raised a little bit of money, had a small crew. We were going to just go shoot for three days, try to get a little bit of footage so that I could cut a reel together and raise real money for. And we got all the way to Kentucky. I had my kids. I had our camera. I had our crew. And none of the berries would call me back. Oh. <laughs> and so it was like I was just really kind of um, – you know, not sure what to do. And interestingly enough, before the shoot, Tanya had hooked me up with a couple young farmers who had told me to talk to this guy named Steve Smith, who was their mentor. And I had called Steve before our trip and talked to him and told him about what we were doing. And he was so warm and welcoming. And so when we got up, we were in Kentucky and the berries wouldn't call me back. I'm thinking, well, we'll just call Steve. We ended up, Steve was wonderful, invited us over. Um, we sat on his front porch and I interviewed him, not really knowing what I was going to be interviewing him about, honestly, just having read lots and lots and lots of Wendell Berry and knowing the general gist, but not really sure where this character fit in. And wonderfully, that ends up being, you know, one of the primary interviews in the film. Steve Smith, Steve Smith um, later ends up marrying Wendell Berry's daughter, Mary, and is now, um, you know, Wendell Berry's son-in-law. So it all worked out. It just was a little bit of a rocky start. And um, the film, I think, kind of became a, a good force in, in the lives, even though they were quite um, not quite excited about it to begin with. <laughs> yeah. yeah that's, that's, I had no idea of that, of that connection with uh, yeah. Steve Smith. Yeah. But I, I mean, his interview and Tanya's interview are just just absolute treats. I mean, that's some of the like highlights of that whole of the whole thing of hearing the words they have to say. And it's, it was just so fascinating to hear somebody who's just just seems, you know, when you're watching it, just barely peripheral or whatever to Wendell Berry's story. But I can't imagine the story of your film without them at the same time. I mean, well, Tanya, of course, but with, with Steve Smith's. Uh, yeah, he's, he's really special. And you can see why he's they're, they're of the same mind for sure. And and they're, they're, Steve's just a wonderful guy with just a great story. And um, he tells it so well. So it ended up being I mean, and I think that's kind of what I want to say is that I love documentary filmmaking because you have very little control and mm, yeah. it's all about, you know, dealing with reality, which is full of constraints at all times and having to bend uh, with the wind, you know, and, and change your plan. And I think that almost always, not always, but almost always, the best opportunities come out of those constraints when things don't work out the way you plan them to be. And um, I think that's a really good example. And so I think to your question, how did I start it out? How did it change? I mean, I wanted it to be a portrait because I had just finished a big issues, kind of sprawling issues piece. And I wanted something that was more intimate, um, just artistically. That's what I was wanting. And of course, Wendell made it very clear to me early on that he does not like screens of any kind. He said that they, um, you know, contribute to the decline of literacy and, they degrade the imagination. I mean, he has absolutely no positive regard for <laughs> at all. And so yeah. I told him, you know, that's fine. I get it. And I'm not, I, I agree with you in a lot of ways. And um, I'm not going to try to trick you into filming you. I can respect that as a constraint. And so I, you know, pretty early on was pitching this film as a portrait of, 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 of Wendell, but it really was going to be, you know, he said to me early on, he said, I am my place. That is who I am. And this culture likes to make idols of people, and it's not real. I'm nothing but for the people 
around me. And of course, he said it all much more eloquently than I can. But that was the gist of it. So early on, I thought, you know, well, this is interesting. We're going to make a portrait of Wendell. And in making a portrait, you're not just trying to draw in the face of someone. You're really trying to capture the essence of who that person is. And so it's going to be the way he sees the world. It's going to be looking out at his place through his eyes, as opposed to kind of a more traditional, we're going to look at Wendell, front light him, shoot an interview with him and intercut it with B-roll. That didn't really seem to be the way Wendell would want it. So the, the film shifted in that way. But I, I have to say, I don't really go into making a documentary with much of a plan because it never works out. I just read and read and read and read and then go to the place and immerse yourself in it and start talking to people who tell you to talk to someone else and you follow your nose and you shoot 100 hours of footage and you kind of figure it out in the edit room. That's kind of how I work. It's messy, but I think you end up or you hopefully you end up with something that's more um, reflective of a worldview that's outside of your own, you know as opposed to kind of just creating something that's in your own mind's eye. That's not really what I'm interested in. It's more of the discovery. And I can imagine you mentioned working within restraints being a sort of a really, really as far as something that fuels an imagination. I, I, I have a feeling or I suspect that for you making this and, and knowing he wasn't going to be on the screen uh, at all, that, that that kind of restraint must have been in some ways kind of freeing, but you didn't have the, I mean, you can, Tell me I'm wrong, but it just I can imagine that being kind of freeing because you don't feel like you have the pressure of creating sort of an all-encompassing picture of who he is and, and instead focusing on on the ideas that that, that he holds you know, to be important to himself. Yeah, I mean, I don't honestly I don't know if it felt freeing. I think it it, it even up until the last minute felt like a challenge, you mm. know. Um but as Wendell would have it, right? I mean right. he's not gonna <laughs> make anything easy. As he said, you know, hardship is its possibility. So You can um, put this on a screen, but I'm going to make it hard for you. To get it <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's, and so I think that um, it, it wasn't so much freeing as much as it just was, okay, this is the constraint, you accept it, and you, you, you sort of see the opportunity. I think it was exciting to me, even though it was very difficult in terms of pitching it for funding. You know, I mean, people just were always kind of like, well, you've got to get him, you've got to get him. It was like, no, you don't. Like the fact that he doesn't want to be filmed is actually really important information about him. It gives you real insight into who he is. And sometimes by not looking at something straight on, you're in a literal sense, you know, you, you actually can see it more clearly. So I think it definitely was an opportunity, um, but it was a challenge <laughs> through and through. Well, I, you know, I, I, I sort of wonder about, you know, how sort of anti-screens he is and, you know, you approaching that as a as a filmmaker. I mean, how did that make you feel? I mean, I, did you expect it? And and what kind of what kind of defensive screens did you make to him? <laughs> Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, my husband, who loves movies, will tell you I'm a weird filmmaker. I mean, I don't really like films very much. I don't <laughs> watch movies very much, never have. I mean, I didn't grow up watching TV or movies. I really was interested in being outside more than anything. And so um, it's interesting that I ended up being a filmmaker. I came into film as an activist. I was in college, and I remember the Rodney King event happening, and... Um, Everyone was looking at this video witness of the police brutality and that set L.A. on fire. And it was just one of those moments in my own kind of making that 
was 19 or 20 and realized, gosh, everyone's looking at the screen. So even if you're going to talk about injustices from an activist perspective, if, if you can bear witness with video, people seem to really pay attention. So I kind of came into filmmaking as, as an activist and never really intended to pursue it beyond I made a, my first documentary was about a labor strike at Yale University. I was at Yale, I was a fish out of water, kid from the South, a de facto member of a, of a big blue collar workers union because I was a student worker in the dining hall. <laughs> and my, but my, yet my roommate's dad was on the board of the New York Stock Exchange. So, you know, you've got all this like intense urban poverty layered on top, underneath some of the richest, most powerful people in the United States and, and the labor strike broke out and I was kind of straddling those realms. So I ended up filming both of those worlds and intercutting them and made a short documentary to just try to make sense of my own experience, honestly. And um, that film ended up winning some awards. So I said, well, I'll go to film school. And it kind of, it really was never some love of film. It really, I really came at film as an activist. But what happened is I met Terrence Malick and saw his work, and that really challenged me to look at the medium more poetically. And um, I've been a little bit hooked ever since then because I don't really want everyone to be looking at screens, but people are. So how do you, is there a way to work within that medium? Because it's just an art form. It's not necessarily, maybe we could go on and on about the medium as the message and all of that, but but the, the fact is, is that it's what everyone's looking at. So can you use it as a means to communicate ideas that are in some senses anti-screen? I tell people it's an anti-screen screen or it's an anti-portrait portrait. portrait. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you make a film that makes people want to then turn the screen off and go outside or read a book or talk to their child? That's kind of the challenge I'm still working on, even in my new work. So. I think you achieved that absolutely <laughs> with this document. I, as you were as you were talking, I, I just wrote something down that I wanted to to ask. Uh, very selfishly, I was wondering if you had about ten hours of back footage of you walking through the woods <laughs> on his place, because watching that section of the the film, whenever you cut to you know the the camera going through the. Uh, the woods, I guess, what I assume is around Wendell's uh, home or on his land. I could watch that all day long, and or I could. It just made me want to get outside, and it was, it was just a really beautiful meditative shot. And I think that I absolutely, personally, had that reaction to watching this, as it made me, it, it made me want to just sort of open my eyes and look around me a little, a little more carefully than I have been you know, right. in the place that's where I am. So encouraging. Well, I'm so glad because. You know, that's what Wendell would want you to do. And we're trying to channel him. And that walking footage certainly was because on every Sunday, he he writes a lot in his Sabbath poems about his Sunday walks. And so um, the pace of taking in the natural world on foot, walking through it, that's why we kind of used that as an interstitial, you know. So I'm so glad that that had that effect. And also it was that we really wanted the place itself to be a character in the film, the landscapes there. And so we, it's really important to me that we film the same walk and the same landscapes over all four seasons. Then you can really feel that continuity, that repetition of going back to the same places, and yet it's changing. So that was a really important shot to us, too. Yeah, it was beautiful. It was, it was, it was just oh. gorgeous. And, and just to hear you, hear you talk about it, I mean, it makes me want to 
go through it once again. I mean, just I, I hadn't noticed fully or hadn't really latched on to the the seasonal aspect that you were just talking about. And that's really, I guess, just uh, it's something that's uh, surprising and, and makes me just kind of touches me that you, you put that much uh, consideration into how you're approaching his place. And yet another reason why I think you were a natural fit to do this uh, with him. I think that because um, that feels very appropriate. And well, thank you so much. You know, it's very daunting. It was a very daunting task. And I say, I remember talking to Steve about it early on or at some point in the process and saying, you know, I'm not trying to encompass all of who Wendell is. How could you possibly? It, it can't be a survey of his work. It can't be, you know, his work has means a lot to me personally. And it's difficult to articulate that. You know, you kind of just want to sit with it. But but I, I said, I just want to see if we can capture some little essence, some small little fragment that's true enough that it will draw more people, you know, to his work. So I, it was very, it was a humbling and, and uh, daunting task. So I'm, I'm grateful for your comments. It's encouraging. Well, so, you know, a lot of uh, the film gives a lot of attention to a particular period in Wendell Berry's career, namely his activism in the 1970s, particularly in response to the tenure of Earl Butts as the Secretary of Agriculture in the Nixon administration. I wonder if you could talk just a little bit about that decision and and, um, why you chose that as sort of a a focal point for, for the documentary. Yeah, it reminds me of kind of some of my initial thinking about the film. So early on in the film, um, Robert Redford, who had produced The Unforeseen, said to me, I want to produce your next film. What do you want to do? And of course, I'm thinking, ah, I had already had one child, was pregnant with another, was kind of ready to put my feet up. And but then, you know, Redford was like, let's do another picture. (laughs) I was like, okay. (laughs) I really I said, you know, the only thing that's really on my mind is I'm rereading The Unsettling of America right now. And I think that we need to do some kind of film version of this book. So, you know, it, it really, in a way, that was kind of the very beginning ideas was was from that text. Um, I think just as a documentary filmmaker, I come into it with that kind of nonfiction in mind. It wasn't until I really got into the project and started reading a lot more of his fiction and revisiting some of his poetry that it became more intimate in terms of my perspective on it. But I think, you know, the Unsettling of America was written in the early 1970s, or was it, what, when was it? Was it 1970? It was. It was in the early to mid-70s. I don't remember the year exactly. Yeah, I used to know it, but it was, yeah, it was right around, um, it was in the 70s, and it was this big, giant book, work, that looked critically at the trends then um, that were really just beginning in the 1970s around agriculture. And I think those are still the exact same themes and same stories and unfortunately the same trends that Wendell's writing about and talking about today. And so to me, it was like that, that's where you see the roots of where some of these, the forces that have continued to unravel the, um, the rural culture and the agriculture in these small, beautiful places that that really sort of took root then. And um, we found, that's why I started there. It's just because that's really where Wendell's, the arc of Wendell's work starts. And we found this archival radio recording of, you know, Wendell debating Earl Butts. And it was just so great that it seemed like so many of the fundamental themes and arguments that Wendell continues to work through today um, are articulated in a really 
powerful way in that debate. So that's why I ended up kind of using that as a, a milestone. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that that sort of archival footage of him delivering some talks and stuff like that, that was just, uh, you know, as a as a uh, as a fan of his and, and his work, it was just wonderful to see. I'd never seen that before. It was interesting asking, um, you know, Mary talked about how and it was Mary or Tanya or someone. One of them talked about how back at that time during that debate, that time when he did the debate, he was Wendell was very upset and very disheartened. He felt like he was just a voice in the wilderness. And um, interestingly enough, even though all these years later, even though there's still so many problems to address and there are a lot of things that have gotten worse, that there's this positive. He's really now really emphasizes hope. And he doesn't have time really to look at anything other than to focus on those places where he sees hope. And to him, the contrast is that today, there's all kinds of people interested in these questions. There's whole movements around agriculture and sustainable agriculture and food systems and local food systems and local economy. And so that's a, that's a positive note to think about is that the, there is an arc from the 70s today that's negative, but there's certainly an arc that's also positive. And I think Wendell would want me to emphasize that. That brings a question to mind that I, I wanted to ask you about how you, I mean, you, very, you obviously care deeply about his work and, and his ideas and, and you wanted to represent that as truly as possible. And I was wondering how you kind of see your film, maybe a daunting question, but like, how do you see your film playing into the legacy of Wendell Berry's work? Or as far as like, what's your aspiration for people who see this? Um, how do you hope that that plays into the, these these hopes that Wendell has about the present day or, or about the future of America? Well, I mean, what I always told people is that I just want the film to, in effect, be a giant arrow pointing you <laughs> to all of his books, <laughs> because the film can't really do much compared to just one of his texts, you know, um, because in a book, you're sitting with it, you're, you're really taking it in, you have your own um, understanding of it. I just think that it's a superior art form in a lot of ways, and that his, you know, he's so masterful at the way he takes all of these things on. And so that's really what I want. I, I don't, I, I really see it more as this uh, signal to point you to his books. So I would hope that, that the film would just end up getting more people to read his books. Yeah, uh, I appreciate that. Absolutely. I think that's a, that's a great answer. And I know I'm seeing your documentary definitely would do that for me, even somebody who's, who's already a big fan of his, but something that I can, I have to say also, with the, the way you handled it and the pace that you presented this information in the film, that I can say that one effect it's had on me in the area where I live, which is in East Tennessee, uh, which is a, a sort of semi-rural area over here, that it, it sort of affected how I see the farms along the side of the road when I'm driving. And I, of course, Wendell Berry influences that as well, but just seeing sort of the place where all this started, kind of the big bang of, of Wendell Berry's ideas and seeing Henry County and seeing and hearing his ideas with those images overlaid and, and meeting these farmers that you talk to uh, or that you feature on screen that would not have had a, an outlet if it wasn't for, for your film. And nobody ever would have seen them you know, necessarily or might not have that. It makes me think twice about the, uh, the people I see working on the side of the road in a different way than I had before, because I have kind of a visual compass, I guess, in my in my head. Thanks to your thanks to your work. Oh, that's so good because I definitely think that that our farmers, you know, these rural people, they they there's so much there. There's so much that 
there's a lot of struggle, but man, there's a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of brilliance. There's a lot of, you know, it's just a sort of like quintessential American character that these days, I mean, the statistics in terms of the percentage of people living in rural places, living, working on the land. I mean, it's staggering what a small percentage it is of our population. And I definitely wanted to, in the spirit of Wendell Berry, you know, sort of bring light to those folks, not in a way that was condescending, because most media is kind of condescending towards rural places, <laughs> I think, yeah. but in a way that really was like, just, you know, honoring them and and paying respect to them. So... Yeah, I yeah, I think the film was very successful in that regard and 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 one of the things that really struck me this this last time when I was I was viewing it again in preparation for talking with you is uh there's there's a father and son um who own a farm that are incorporating more industrial techniques and uh they're they're very open with you and talking about that and they're very open about sort of the the negative impact of that on their lives and you do that in a way that that definitely sort of humanizes them um it would have been easy i suppose from a from a Wendell Berry perspective to sort of uh cast what they're doing in a negative light but they come across as very human and very sort of stuck in this uh, this impossible situation. Um, I'm wondering how you how you met those farmers in particular, um, and and how you were able to to have those conversations. Yeah, I'm glad you asked about that. So that's Mark and Dale Roberts, and I met them kind of how I meet everybody. I mean, we you know I, the way we first started off is I think Tanya gave me a list of people to talk to, and I would call a bunch of people, and a few would call me back. You know, people in Henry County were not too excited or impressed by someone showing up with a movie camera, like not (laughs) the most people there, you know, you had to really kind of spend time and get to know people and earn trust. It it took a while. And, um, but you know, you sort of talk to people who will talk to you and then you opens up ideas and you ask about other people. And so I met Mark just through that process and was looking for someone who was farming on a large scale and uh, who would talk to me. And Mark and his dad were just wonderful. They were wonderful to us. A lot of times, you know, I have six boys, my husband and I have six boys, and we had them along with us quite often. And Mark was the sweetest, kindest person to our kids. I mean, he'd take them riding in his tractor, he'd ride around in the pickup truck, he took them on the combine harvester. You know, he was just so dear to us. So it, our portrayal of him is is a very honest one in terms of how we felt about him and his dad. They were just salt of the earth, wonderful people. Um, we spent a lot of time with him and he was very gracious. And when they were doing the tobacco harvest, he would call me and say, look, there was a frost. So we're going to have to pull down quickly. And we would change course and we'd run over and film. Um, and he, you know, I think that it's not so much my judgment about what's the right way and the wrong way to do things. It's really looking at the people themselves and what their stories are. And it was hard. I mean, what Mark and Dale are doing was hard. And it was the interview where Mark really opened up about some of that. My husband actually did with him. And I thought it was such a great interview where he talked about just the hardships and the financial hardships and how it's not really what he wants to be doing. So just that he trusted us um, to do that. And he came to screenings of it in in Louisville and he brought um, one of his workers who was from Mexico. So this is a wonderful person. So I think it's always important to, when you're looking at these kinds of stories and issues, to not demonize individuals, but really to try to say, these are all, you know, good people trying to figure this out. 
there's forces that are much bigger than these individuals. Yeah, they're de dealing with a broken system kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's really important because especially in our, you know, politics today, everything's just sort of like good and evil and the, mm -hmm. um, you don't get anywhere, you know, you just chase your tail. So I, I think Mark was really important to the story. I agree. And his dad, his dear father, they're wonderful. But they have a really hard time. And, you know, the economy has continued. I mean, with so much global global imports, there's just been just a catastrophic price drop in the commodity for the for the commodities that they're producing. And so you're having to put borrow more and more money and put more and more, you know, rent. You have to scale out so that you think, well, if I scale bigger, I'm going to have enough money to uh, pay my bills. But of course, when you scale up, you incur even more bills. And you're doing this all based on your expectation that if I have this much soybeans, I'll be able to sell it for this much. And the problem is, is the commodity prices in agriculture just keep dropping. That's uh, I remember that from the, the film. I forget who it was. It was saying where they were talking about the prices uh, of their uh, of their crop are. Wasn't it like almost unchanged over the course of like 25 years or something like right. that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, the cost of a pickup truck would go up, you know, 300 percent at the same time that the actual price you're getting for that commodity you're producing stays pretty much stagnant. So yeah, that tells you all your inputs go up, you know, by crazy amounts. And yet the the global markets are such that you're not getting paid anymore for what you produce. So it, re it really shows you how you're putting people who are the stewards of our land and produce our food. I mean, we don't have an economy that values them, and that's really scary. Absolutely, yeah. That's. Do you? Uh, can I ask how long we were? How long did you work on the project? How from start to finish? It was about four years. Um, I do tell people that I did have four children in the course of making the film. <laughs> so oh, wow. um, I feel <laughs> I had twins. Right, I had twins right at the beginning. And then I had two more by the time the film was released. So, um, you know, I, I feel like <laughs> I like to tell people that because it does um, give you a little perspective. I think documentaries take long anyway, because it's not like you just get a big chunk of money and go shoot it. You know, you, you, you raise some money, you go shoot. And I really wanted to shoot all four seasons. And so we had enough money to shoot fall, but maybe not enough money to shoot that following winter. So we have to wait a year to go back. And so that's part of why it took a while. And then I also edit all my own footage. And so that takes a long time. It's a lot of late night editing with, you know, a baby in my arms kind of thing. So um, it was a labor of love for sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And in my, my context or, or what I was thinking and asking that question was not in saying like, or when, even when you said four years, I was like, wow, that's pretty fast. Cause I mean, the way that you filmed it, 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 you could kind of feel that you'd spent time, that it wasn't something where you just like went down for a couple of weeks, got a bunch of footage and then we're, we're gone. And then, and then hearing you talk tonight just about being there for the different seasons, I sort of realized that you had to have been there a lot longer and that it just, it feels right that you, that even that it took that much time and, uh, I don't know. I, th I think that the, the taking the amount of time that it did and, and recording over the course of all those seasons made it, you know, all the stronger. I, I would. Yeah, you have to know a place, right? Respect it rather than just. I think you know that one of the reasons why people around there are so suspicious of media is because often it's kind of like a Bill Moyer special where they drop down for you know, six hours, shoot, shoot, <laughs> shoot, shoot, shoot. You know, the producers don't even want to stay in local hotels because they're afraid of bed bugs, and then they leave. You know, so I always say it's like media is often kind of like a mining operation to places. They just drop down, mine it, uh, monetize it, and they're done. 
Now, sometimes that can bring shed light on an important story and it can actually help the people, but most of the time it doesn't. And so I think that's why it is documentary is a very different art form, long form, really spending time in a place is, is I think a really different being, a different, a, a different approach, you know, towards to journalism. Yeah, yeah, you can tell by the by the attitudes of those farmers you talked to that they didn't feel exploited by the process because they they knew you were there to to actually hear their story, not just to like present something about their story. I guess. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, I mean, it's you know, um, my husband Jeff, he did he um, did all the art direction on the film and all the wood engravings. He worked with Wesley Bates, and he um, was a co-producer on the film and was with us on all the shoots. And um, and then we had our kids. We yeah, uh, we have six boys, and and they were always with us. And so that also changes things. You know, people don't we're, they're not we're not your typical camera crew. Now, right. Lee, <laughs> Lee Daniel did film it. He's our cinematographer, but he's a really earthy guy, real down to earth. And and then we had a sound recordist, Justin Hennard, who also is friends with us here in Austin. And that was pretty much our crew, was pretty much the four of us. Um, and then my kids, our kids. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So I, I, I'm just interested, what was something that surprised you in the course of uh, filming, filming this? Well, I, I think that, you know, one way to answer that would be that I really thought that you know, I went into this film with just so much admiration for Wendell and really thinking that the film is about him and it's about his work and what an amazing person and fabulous writer. And, and you know, by the end, my attentions really were turned more towards Tanya. And I think she surprised me, most of all, her effect on me. I think that there, it's really easy in our culture today, you know, growing up with sort of feminism and whatnot to, to misunderstand uh, someone like Tanya, who doesn't have a career of her own per se, but is one of the most self-realized women I've ever met. <laughs> she is dedicated to her husband and her family and her community and her church and her local, you know, orchestra and the library. I mean, you go on and on and on, you know. She's a force and, um, and empowered in every imaginable way. And, and the way she would talk about um, the artfulness of homemaking and how making a home is an art and how everything in your life is an art. That had a huge influence on me because while I am a filmmaker, I also am a stay-at-home mom. I homeschool, you know, and, and I've really come to embrace all of this, this role, this domestic role even though it's kind of not what I was programmed to do. It's just what I was, what was on my heart. And so I think Tanya really had a huge, really a big influence on me in the course of making this film. So I think she surprised me most of all. And that is, is somebody who didn't spend all this time making the film. She was the most surprising for me too, actually. I mean, that like her, her role in the, in the film, it was such a, like, I think I said this earlier, but it was such a treat to hear her speak. I think you really did, did her justice and you know, you read his, you read Wendell's work and you see references to her, you know, multiple numerous poems that he's written directly to her yeah. uh, citing how important she is and, and, and her role or, and just like him addressing his relationship with her and thanking her at the beginning of so many different works. And that it, it's clear that, that her role is, is something absolutely special and singular. Uh, and that I, I think you're, which if, I mean, of course it sounds even silly to say this out, out loud now, but just the thought that went through my head is that, that his career um, and the, and then eventually the making of your film is in large part, totally reliant on her 
and and her her dedication to to the causes that, that he that he fights for and the art that he makes. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah, she's she's definitely the person behind it all. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was wonderful to get to hear from her uh, as much as we did in the in the documentary. Well, we really appreciate the time you've given us tonight. This is this has really been awesome to talk to you, and uh, we're, we're, I can't tell you how thrilled we were when we found out this would this would work out because we're such big fans of of your documentary, and really and just very grateful for your documentary. So oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that. And you know, we, to to finish up, we we really want to know you know want to know what's next. Like, are you working on anything right now, or is there anything that yeah. you're kind of uh, Yes. Anything that's doing? Yes, yes. I'm working on a new film. Um, it's really what I sort of say is I'm exploring the denaturing of American childhood. Mm-hmm. So um, it's definitely partly looking at this generation and how they're um, not growing up with a connection to the natural world, hardly at all. And, of course, if you start digging into that at all, um, one of the big things I'm looking at is uh, digital media and screens and how they're interrupting cognitive development in children. So it's kind of the next thing. That sounds fascinating. It's wonderful. It's hard. It's dark, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, I think it's a lot. There's a lot more at stake than we realize. But that's where we are. Can you tell us who you're kind of working with as a, as a source with that? Like, is there a certain sort of central storyteller within it that you've been talking with about this topic or are you just kind of same as before like you've said just following your nose here and there a little bit of both I mean I think that the the film will involve our family a bit just because it's just where we are and um uh it's going to be a little more personal I think than other things I've made but um it's not really going to be about us it's just going to kind of start where we are and branch out um, in a way, it's almost like a parenting journal at this point. But it, I've talked with several different people. Um, there's a there's a man named David Elkind who wrote a beautiful book back in the 80s called The Hurried Child, and uh, we interviewed him. There's a neuroscience researcher at Seattle Children's who has been looking at the effect of various forms of digital media on developing brains in children um, for the past 20 years. Who has a lot of insight and. <laughs> Um, so those are sort of the two voices I'm working with now, but Richard Louvre, who wrote Last Child in the Woods, we're hoping to get an interview with him soon. And, um, it's going to be kind of, um, the story in a way is, is it's going to be a bit of kind of our story of navigating this space of trying to find, um, hopeful spots in an otherwise kind of deserted landscape. Well, we can't wait to see it. So <laughs> thank you so much again for talking about this, Laura Dunn. And uh, it can, is there anywhere you want to share uh, share with us that people can find you on the Internet or people can find your work? Yeah, sure. Um, well, our website is twobirdsfilm.com or lookandseefilm.com. That's the best place. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking with us. Thank you. Best of luck with your endeavor. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks, friends, for listening to Episode 10 of The Membership. We'd like to thank Laura Dunn once again for taking the time to talk with us, and we hope you enjoyed the conversation. 
If you're reading along with us, we'll be returning to fiction in episode 11. Along with special guest Tim Ross, pastor of Hopwood Memorial Christian Church, we'll be discussing Barry's short story, Watch With Me, which can be found in several places, including the recently republished collection titled Watch With Me and the larger collection That Distant Land, both of which are published by Counterpoint Press. And of course, the story can also be found in the Library of America's collection of Barry's fiction. If you like what you heard today, please take a few minutes to rate and review us on iTunes. This helps others find the podcast. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the handle MembershipPod, or find us online at MembershipPod.com. The Membership is a proud member of the Rabbit Room Podcast Network. To discover other great podcasts, visit RabbitRoom.com slash podcasts.